Hello and welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman and I am joined today by Scott Belmore. Scott, how are you? I'm doing good, Philip. It's uh, It's been a great uh, day. Yesterday I spent the day on the water with some other friends just trying to uh, see if we can get some salmon in the boat. Yeah. Uh, we ended up with about 102 in the boat and so uh, it started off really slow but by the end of the night, um, man, we were excited. Yeah, they waited till late to come in, huh? They did. That's that last awesome. high tide was was pretty nice. That's cool. Good. Well, I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. It's good to be here. Good, man. Uh, if you're just tuning in uh, or you're new to the podcast, this is part two. Today, episode 12 is part two of a two-part conversation about the Southern Baptist Convention. Last week on episode 11, uh, I did the, po- the podcast solo uh, and discussed the history of the Southern Baptist Convention, the relationship between the Southern Baptist Convention and True North Church, as well as some of the opportunities that that relationship offers our membership and some of the potential risks that we should be aware of. So if you have not had an opportunity to listen to that episode yet, I would encourage you to start there. Um, Today, Scott and I are going to be using some terms, phrases, titles of different entities and organizations within the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, some of that will make more sense to you if you have an opportunity to listen through the episode from last week. So that's what today is going to be. Today, uh, Scott and I are going to be communicating a bit about the state of the Southern Baptist Convention, how it's going in 2021. Both Scott and I had the opportunity to attend the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention back in June of this year. And uh, I think we both had slightly different expectations coming in, uh, some hopes for how things might go. And of course, now we have thoughts and opinions about how those things worked themselves out. So before we jump into that conversation, just briefly, Scott, if you don't mind, tell our listeners, uh, those who attend True North probably know a little bit about you, but some may not, and some of our listeners are not a part of True North. Tell us a bit of your story. And because we're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention today, if you don't mind, kind of help us weave in the role that the Southern Baptist Convention has played in your story and, and some of the different experiences you've had along the way. Okay, that sounds great. Um, well, just going back as far as uh, whenever I first began to attend a, a Southern Baptist Church as a child, I just we had some friends that invited us uh, to go with them, got connected there, um, and over the years, just you know, God began to do a work in my life. Uh, I had a Sunday school teacher uh, share his faith with me yeah. about who Jesus was came to a saving knowledge of that, uh, and then just began to pursue that relationship and just to deepen my faith with uh, with Christ. And, and through that experience, it led me into getting plugged in with the BSU, which is the Baptist Student Union on the campus of the University of Louisiana Lafayette, which we now call BCM, yeah. which is Baptist Collegiate Ministry, okay. which... It's kind of what we do here in Alaska, but we call it Mosaic rather than Baptist Collegiate Ministry to mm-hmm. kind of help throw a, a broader net to some of the students and, and uh, individuals that we a- interact with on campus. And so, right. um, and then from there, uh, that's when God really began to do a work in my life and just to, uh, I really sensed that, that he was calling me into vocational ministry and began to pursue a, a, uh, a master's of divinity at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And and there, you know, one of the great things about being a Southern Baptist and being a part of uh, and, and going to school at New Orleans Baptist Theological is that, you know, 
part of the cooperative program dollars that that we give to mm-hmm. all of the national entities to help. Uh, it helps cut the cost and to you know uh, help students be able to afford going right. to get the training that that we need. And so that's just really cool how some of those things have have worked out in that in that setting. Um, as far as uh, previous jobs, you know, mm-hmm. I started working at some Southern Baptist churches when I was in college, uh, just doing student ministry and doing worship ministry there. Um, and then as, as I moved into uh, seminary, I knew, you know, there was more of a focus that we were getting, that we were getting to, and it was going to be more around collegiate ministry and really pouring into the lives of college students, because that's where, that's where I really felt like my relationship grew and Mm -hmm. uh, my faith deepened because there were people that, that took me underneath their wing, uh, as a, as a college student when, when really I feel that's like one of the, one of the, um, biggest opportunities that a, a student needs in their life to have somebody really uh, pour into them and help them make decisions through that. Because I think yeah. at that stage in life, decisions that they're making, and it's really at any stage in life, decisions that we make can affect us for the rest of our life. And so whether that be positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, moving into uh, some of those other uh, arenas as far as jobs, uh I began to work for Louisiana Baptist Convention, which is uh, the convention that oversees the, all of the Southern Baptist churches within uh, the state there, and um, just began to do collegiate work there. Began to to feel a call to minister or a call to Alaska, yeah. uh, and if I wanted to come up to Alaska, it was going to have to be through the North American Mission Board, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, we refer to that as NAM. Yeah. And so uh, there, you know, some people will use that uh, name in a, in a different tone sometimes. But, um, yeah, the North American Mission Board is who we serve with now as, as uh, missionaries on the field here to Alaska to reach the students and faculty, staff, and administration at the University of Alaska Anchorage. And so um, so those are just kind of the, the job roles that I've had. But mm-hmm. as far as the the SBC's role in my life, we've just had it to where um, I really believe uh, strongly in, in the stance that they take on things, the the core beliefs that they have. It's it's very uh, set on biblical standards. Right. And so mm-hmm. those are the things that really kind of draw me into being a part of a Southern Baptist church uh, outside of the um, you know, that each church has its own autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not governed by the Southern Baptist Church. It's just a, it's a, it's like-minded individuals uh, that come together to form this convention that help us do what we can to reach the nations, to reach the world yeah. with the gospel. And so that's, that's like the, that's like the catch. That's like the, the eye candy that's there for us to really be able to latch into what the SBC is doing. Yeah, and it's cool because one of the things that I discovered in doing some research to try to represent the history of the SBC well on last week's episode uh, is looking at the original document that was presented to the Georgia legislature. And within that, I'm going to quote it poorly at this point, but I, I said it the right way last week, so another reason to go back and listen again. But something along the lines of compiling and and funneling and then distributing, I think what they called energies, but what they mean is resources, finances, for the gospel, like the capital G gospel. It's cool how it's written in 1845. That was the beginning idea, and I would say that has been the common thread, and probably for you that has been the common thread in Southern Baptist settings. So uh, for those that are listening, to summarize what Scott is saying, 
uh, he encountered Jesus for the first time in a Southern Baptist church, uh, had an opportunity to participate in a collegiate ministry that was um, not just financed, but supported by and equipped by the Southern Baptist Convention, then sensed a call into a similar kind of ministry, served at both churches and the state level in Louisiana. I think you and Dana had a stint in North Carolina as well, right? West Virginia, West Virginia. is where we okay. spent some time. Gotcha, yeah. along the way. Yeah, and then coming to Alaska, um, at this point, you even have a, um, a professional relationship with the state level of uh, Baptist churches in Alaska as well, right? That's, that's right, that's yeah. right. I, that's one of the things that we do is is there's a partnership that mm-hmm. takes place, mm-hmm. you know, and so all of these different entities, even though we are all under the Southern Baptist network, um, we all partner. We look to partner with each other for the kingdom purpose, to right. make sure that the gospel is going forward, that that lives are being uh, reached, that that uh, we can see life change take place. Uh, and that's that's the thing that that compels, I think, each one of us to continue to go forward, but also to to work together mm-hmm. uh, in cooperation and to to see such a, a unified front of believers uh, standing together is is really cool. Absolutely, I agree totally. Yeah. So now, Philip, you and I both we attended uh, the Southern Baptist Convention this past June, their annual meeting that they have every year, and uh, I've been many times, but. Uh, Tell me about your experience this year. Yeah, this is my first one in a long time. Um, my my upbringing, my uh, dad has worked now at the same Southern Baptist Church in East Texas for, man, almost my whole life. I mean, I think it's been 27 or 28 years and has played different roles, been in different positions on staff there. But for some reason, there's something about Texans. They have a different relationship with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, It's more complicated than we have time to get into here, but there wasn't a ton of incentive for my dad and therefore me as an extension, our family, to travel to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. I've been one or two times previously, sat in the room to me as a kid. It felt like a very long, very hot, very boring meeting. Uh, The one this year was also long and hot. It wasn't boring, but those two were still true. Uh, But I had a really good time. I felt some conviction and had really not originally planned to attend the meeting uh, until about a month beforehand. And um, a podcast that I listened to is the B21 podcast. It's hosted by a guy named Nate Aiken. And Nate had an opportunity to do a two-part interview with each of the four presidential candidates that were in the running this year. And the way that works, if you're listening at home, is also different from the way that politicians campaign. People recommend other people to serve in certain roles so that it's not all about building a platform for an individual. But there were still four individuals who had different perspectives. And, and so in listening to those, uh, some of the things those guys said were exciting, but much of what they said to me was concerning. And to be very frank, I think that what motivated me to go this year was an expectation that things could maybe go poorly. Um, I didn't want that to happen. I certainly have nothing against the Southern Baptist Convention. We are a participating church. I myself have attended a Southern Baptist college, a seminary, have always been a member of Southern Baptist churches. So I have no beef, no agenda, vendetta, anything like that. But I did, I was concerned that if the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention changed away from that gospel mindset to be about something that we would say is secondary or maybe even less than secondary, that it would probably be important that I be in the room to hear those discussions because if you're not there for the meeting, you really have to trust bloggers and you have to trust secondhand information. You can go back and watch through the meeting, but it doesn't. it's not the same as being there and having all the conversations that happen along the way. So I was excited. I was also very apprehensive 
when when we got to Nashville. Um, and even getting there was an adventure for you and I both. You barely made it. I lost my Kindle on the airplane. That's the only negative <laughs> thing I can say. But they did find it, mail it back to me. But I think overall, on this side of things, even I am surprised at how really amazing I felt like things went. Um, for those who don't know, it's about a 48-hour event. Um, in the past, I've heard that some of the business that happens during the meeting maybe isn't as compelling as it was this year, and therefore a lot of people use the convention meeting as a chance to network, as a chance to catch back up with people they haven't seen, because as is often the case, God will call people from a ministry position to another, but oftentimes those are lateral moves within the convention, and so everybody kind of has a chance to have a big family reunion once a year. This year, I think that that was different, uh, and we're going to get to you in a minute, Scott, to hear your perspective, but I think that's something even you told me one night, was there just wasn't that much margin for those conversations because there was real business to handle. Some of that was a result of the convention being unable to gather in 2020 because of the coronavirus. Um, but across those two days, uh, listening to the resolutions that were made, some of the motions that were made from the floor, the reports that were given, um, I walked away having heard each of the heads of the entities, and the entities are the six seminaries, the two uh, missionary sending agencies. One is the North American Mission Board you talked about. Uh, the other is the International Mission Board, or what we call the IMB. Uh, we also have a disaster relief arm. There's an executive team, a publishing arm, a couple of other entities that exist as well. Um, and hearing the reports from the leaders of those, and then this is really cool to me, having people, normal people, not just pastors, but members of churches that are affiliated with the SBC, being given the opportunity to walk up to an open microphone and ask these guys who are incredibly intelligent and very effective, I mean, Anybody can ask them any question they want to. And it was so cool. I'd heard about this before, but to see kind of what we call democracy in American politics and how that's, it's a good system. It's probably the best of the government systems that exist right now. But still, frankly, as an individual, I don't have that loud of a voice. I have to try to get a representative to represent me. The Southern Baptist Convention cuts all of that out. I mean, you can have a conversation with these guys who have a million doctorate degrees and understand all of church history and theology, and you can ask them stuff like, hey, I noticed in your budget that you spent a lot of money on new chairs. Why didn't you use old chairs that you already had? You know, and the, <laughs> sometimes it's comical a little bit, the, the questions that come from the floor, but what it represents is very good and very encouraging to me because the convention itself, from my perspective, the meeting, the two-day meeting, it really is a business meeting. Uh, they do everything they can to dress it up so that it's beneficial, so that there's ministry and it's encouraging. We worship together. We hear preaching. And those things are good and right. But at, at its most basic form, it has to happen for us to hold these entities accountable because we're giving financially. And so to see that happen in a way that was very gracious, uh, generally humble, there were a couple of moments where I sensed, uh, and you probably did too, some of the folks on stage maybe not participating in that accountability as much as we would have liked. Um, but there were responses from the body to, to seek and, and look for ways to increase the level of accountability um, where necessary. And so my big takeaway from the whole thing was if we were going to partner with 45,000 other churches, I cannot think of a model that would be more effective than this for keeping everybody engaged, inviting them all to the table to have a voice, and trying to reach consensus on some things. And I think that's where we talked about this last week at great length. Um, the Baptist Faith and Message, the, the, do the document that functions as kind of our glue. I mean, we would say Jesus is our glue, but functionally, the bare minimum that we need to agree to, which is very biblical, is rooted in Scripture, uh, and not just um, 
sort of like hinting at certain things, but very bold, very, the Bible says this, so we believe it and we're going we're gonna to act on it. Um, that was exciting to me. That was very encouraging. Um, so I, I want to throw the ball back to you. You've been many times, many more times than I have. Um, what was your experience? And, and if this year was different from your perspective, what was different about it? Well, just to uh, bounce off of something that you said, as far as just like being able to go to the open mic, being able to have those conversations, you know, there, there are times, uh, it's, it's kind of like a family meeting, you know, yeah. sometimes within your, within your own family, you have to call a family meeting and, and there's some accountability that has to be uh, put on each other. There's some conversations that have to be had. There are different things that have to take place in that setting. And so, you know, for that, it's like, that's what it reminds me of every yeah. time I go to the convention. It's like we're having a family get together and we're just having some of those hard conversations sometimes that have to be had in order for us to continue to move forward uh, to to make sure that the gospel goes out. And yeah. so, you know, that's that's that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. Mm. I think one of the I think one of the other things, man, it, it, it really uh, impacted me was um, this the sending celebration with the with IMB, the International Mission Board. Um, man, it just it gave me chills. It's given me chills now to yeah. think about to think about that night and just the time that we got to celebrate with the the 44, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, new international missionaries that are being appointed That's right. to go out to the field to serve all across the world. Um, and you know, that, that was just a, a very emotional time. I had some personal friends that were being appointed. And so to see them walk across the stage, share their story about how God began to work and, and just what they're going to be doing, uh, over in Manchester. I mean, that was just a really, uh, that was just a really neat time, uh, with them, um, you know, as lifelong friends, as long-term right. friends that we've, that we've spent time together. And so, um, yeah, and if I can connect the dots a little bit, one of the things I talked about last week is that's one of the opportunities for any member of any church that's affiliated with the SBC. These sitting next to you in that sending ceremony and, and seeing some of the people even having to stand behind a curtain so we can only see their silhouette because they're being sent to places where if their names are shared, uh, they may be sought out by the government or terrorists or other militant religious people uh, seeking even to take their lives to prevent the gospel from being spread. Um, it was so encouraging to me because very few of those people presented as your average uh, master's or doctorate level seminarian. I mean, certainly they've all had to be trained. They've been willing to submit to that process. Yes, that's right. But the call was not first to academics and then to the nations. The call was to the nations and the road went through academics to get there. And so if you're listening to this and you are a person who has considered ever attempting to try to go to an unreached people group or a reached people group, maybe even like your friends, Scott, that are going to be in Manchester, almost a post-Christian environment where, where late modernism and, and post-modernism is so rampant that people have rejected any formal religious system, very similar to America. Uh, there are opportunities anywhere from 18 months to the rest of your life that you could go and serve. And those opportunities are things that uh, we are already connected to as a church that's affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And they're things that are designed to be very affordable for you. And they're things that I can speak for the rest of our elder team and say, we would absolutely support and love to facilitate you getting engaged with that. So even that, how cool of an opportunity would it be someday, Scott, to see somebody from True North participate in a sending celebration just like that? I think that would be pretty amazing. So. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. You know, um, and then to, to just jump back to where we were, I think... Uh, you know, going into this meeting, I think, you know, there were some hesitations, I think, across the board 
as as far as nationally, just to see where we were going to go. You talked about that a little while ago. Just, um, you know, there there are some times that that we have different opinions on different things, yeah. and and sometimes we we feel that our opinion is the only opinion that matters, and so we push it so far to the point where we where where we we become a little. Um, uh, insistent in, in sure. pushing, and then we, we we hurt others' feelings, we hurt relationships that we've had, and uh, I just think we have to be careful and mindful of that. And so going into this, you know, it was, uh, it was really cool to see you and I discuss this, that after sitting through those resolutions, after sitting through those motions, and coming out on the other side as a, as a unified front, um, I think what we what we landed on was that the gospel is what matters. Jesus is what matters. Yeah. And so to to come to the table with these other opinions and then to to place them or to put them to the side so that we can really focus on what truly matters mm-hmm. and that's bringing the gospel to the nations that need it um to a world that needs it. I I think walking away from that um man makes me grateful and hopeful uh, to be a part of what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, me too, totally. Um, You know, coming into the convention, there were a handful of issues that I think are, we would probably say cultural, just the fact that the culture has brought them up and we as Christians have to decide how to respond to those things. Um, So I want to just mention a couple things while we have time here. I had heard, and and just full confession here, I'm probably overactive on Twitter when it comes to listening to some of the fighting that can happen between Christians, and especially Christians who are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of the really, really big hot-button topics, I would say across the last 18 months, it's gotten really loud in the last six months, but it's kind of been brewing the year before that, is what we call critical race theory. Um, we don't have time probably today to get all into what critical race theory is and where it comes from, and does it have a use, does it not, is it opposed to the Bible, does it speak similarly to the Bible? What I can say is it is not a theory derived from Scripture. It does not embody God's perspective on what makes a person a person, how they are defined, and what can solve their problems. That's as far as we'll go down that road today. Um, therefore, it probably doesn't need to be a primary point of discussion among believers. Now, at the same time, I understand that when certain conversations get really loud in our culture, we as a church have to be able to respond to those things, whether we do that from our pulpits or just kind of collectively in smaller settings with friends and things like that, is kind of based on the convictions of our churches. At True North, we've worked in my two and a half years pretty hard to avoid much political conversation from the stage. We address things when the Bible addresses things, you know, working through books of the Bible, but we don't typically give a Sunday over to something that might be coming up in a big vote nationally or locally. Um, So my perspective was, and I had heard some conversation around this, that there was a group of people who um, are maybe just philosophically a little more conservative than I am, I can speak only for me here, uh, who had felt that critical race theory could possibly come into the convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, and maybe even be taught at our seminaries in a way that would be kind of capitulating to what the culture is doing. And so there was some discussion before the convention. There was a group of people who had said that they sensed that the convention had drifted liberal theologically. Um, There were even, unfortunately, some attacks on specific individuals uh, that 
from my perspective, were unnecessary and, and really pretty uncharitable. Um, and so that coalition came with an agenda, and there were moments in the convention where um, they either attempted to or maybe wanted to attempt to bring critical race theory up as a major issue uh, and ask the entity heads or ask the convention as a whole to communicate our perspective on that and kind of put, put our feet down on it. Um, one of the greatest things that happened to me is we were able to pass pretty close to unanimously a resolution. We call it resolution number two because it was the second resolution that we got to this year. That's the only reason it has that number. And it was a resolution on racial reconciliation. Uh, it's available at sbc.net. It's also something that I could get in your hands if you're listening to this and you'd like to read it. It's a well-written document. What it does is it denounces any system of understanding who a human being is, what their greatest problems are, and how those problems need to be solved. It rejects any system that would say that those are primarily racial conversations, or primarily gender conversations, or primarily sexuality conversations. Um, it rejects any system, aside from the Bible system, of seeing people as sinful, wicked, far from God, and needing to be brought near to him by the blood of Jesus. And so, to me, that was a very effective blanket statement that was able to accomplish the sort of anti-CRT agenda that was boiling under the surface for some people. Unfortunately, those who had that agenda seemed to come away from the convention feeling that uh, the racial reconciliation resolution was almost kind of a uh, just a miss for us as a convention, that we had a chance to speak directly against CRT and did not do that. Um, from my perspective, that was good because one of the purposes of CRT is to identify the sources of systemic or systematic racism in our country and in another country. And my concern was if we were to reject CRT by name, we might accidentally be throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. And I certainly know of a few African-American pastors who were nervous that if we made a statement that aggressive, uh, we might lose the opportunity to continue to address some of the history of racism in our country and heal the relationship between uh, people of color and white people. And so uh, I thought that the line that we walked was a very healthy line. It did what it needed to do, uh, again, without getting rid of a useful conversation along the way. Um, a couple of other things that, that I thought might come up that really weren't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things uh, was the role of women in ministry. There's a large church in California called Saddleback Church. It's where Rick Warren is a pastor. And very recently, that church has chosen to ordain women as pastors for the first time in its history as a church. Probably on a functional level, these women have been playing the role of pastor. I think that Rick has even said in the last few months that it was more or less a formality that they did this. Uh, but one of the statements that the Baptist Faith and Message makes about pastoral ministry is that the role of pastor or overseer, or we would say elder at True North, is reserved for biblically qualified men. And that is a position that we hold at True North. We are not ashamed of that. Um, I don't know that either of us at this table can totally unpack God's mindset on why that's important to him, but he said that it's right, and he makes the rules, and when we follow his rules, our lives go well. And so it is always good and right to be in step with him. Unfortunately, it seems that there is uh, maybe a new trend in church plants especially to see um, the planting pastor and his wife as co-pastors. Um, and from my perspective, this is something that maybe we have seen happen more on the West Coast or uh, in Western states or more liberal cities where it's maybe more palatable to the culture to have a man and a woman in equal leadership. 
of course, what we've seen at True North in a liberal city, Anchorage, um, about as west as you can go, aside from Hawaii, is that when we involve our wives and include them in the way that we oversee our homes, they end up having a voice in leadership without us needing to compromise God's biblical standard for who should or should not be in that highest level of leadership. So I felt that the way we were able to navigate that was useful and helpful. Um, there was a little bit of discussion, uh, probably in smaller group settings among some of the breakout sessions and things like that, of what role a woman should play in ministry. And what I heard across the multiple lunches that I attended was a resounding cry that God can call women, equip women, send women, that they can serve, and that there are really just a handful of responsibilities that belong to an elder that God has decided rightly should only go to a biblically qualified man not just any man, but a man whom the congregation has approved and ordained. And so it's participatory. We as a congregationally ruled Baptist church put that responsibility back into the hands of our people. So uh, another kind of just thing I was a little nervous might come up was conservative politics. The vast majority of our Southern Baptist churches are in the South, and that sometimes comes with certain uh, political positions. And frankly, from my standpoint, it never came up. It just was a non-factor through and through. And I thought that that was a great sign uh, that we didn't even really need to talk about it because it wasn't what we were there to do. Nobody was there to wave a Republican flag. We were there to do Jesus' work. And then to go home and actually do his work in our churches. That was our motivation. So That's right. Uh, what about you? You know, those are kind of the external cultural issues. Are there any of those you want to speak to? Or, you know, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, that there might have been some internal things um, that you were anticipating before the meeting. Might have been a little bit tense or a little bit challenging. Um, go as specific as you're comfortable here, um, but you might be able to give us some unique perspective on coming into the convention, what you were anticipating might have been hard. Right. Well, I know um, for for myself, you know, the we work with college students uh, on our campus. We work, we have colleagues that work with college students throughout the other uh, states mm -hmm. on their college campuses. And so, being that Lifeway was was our agent that kind of held us, you know, up underneath them as their ministry role, that was one thing that, that uh, Lifeway was looking to transfer us over to someone else because they no longer really plug into or, or are a part of uh, doing things for the, the life of college students. And so we, we were hopeful uh, yet uncertain where we would land. Uh, we were hoping that we would that we would land at the executive committee, possibly. Uh, then we found out through conversations there that we would probably end up at the North American Mission Board. And but I think through that that conversation, you know, like uh, Lifeway was looking to uh, really to to put the role of several other things as well. Uh, pull those ministry roles out from underneath them and, and put them elsewhere. Um, homeschooling, uh, collegiate ministry. And, and I think with some of the, with some of the pushback that they were uh, receiving, uh, it didn't pass for us to be able to, to get landed at the North American mission board. So right now, um, <laughs> I guess, I guess we feel a little homeless. Oh no. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, being, being left alone as, as a, as a, as one of the, focal points of ministry for the Southern Baptist Convention is the, the college campuses. You know, that's, we've got 2 million uh, college students um, wow. across the, across the nation mm -hmm. that are um, 
that are needing uh, an impact uh, in their life. They need they need a gospel presence in their life on those campuses, and so you know we've got uh, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and right now we're still trying to find a home as far as where we're going to land as, uh, with the, the ministry role there. And so that's one of the areas that I think we're still going to kind of uh, see what's going to take place over this next year. I think, I think one of the big things was the, you know, transparency within a lot of our entities. Yeah. Just, yeah. just wanting to, because as a family... You know, if if uh, if my wife comes to me and asks me to, you know, wh- what's our budget? What are we spending things on? You know, hey, or, or who are we giving our money to? Where are we putting our our dollars to? Like, who are we supporting in missions? Uh, what are we giving to our local church? What are yeah. we? You know, those are things that, man, as a family, we we have a an open policy to, right? And so. As a family of uh, Southern Baptists, with the entities that we've already discussed as well, you know there are several people that feel that it's a necessity to be able to have an open book policy to where we can we can see the transparency of each of those entities, of each of the entity leaders, um, and so I think that was one of the one of the discussions that that I that I was thinking that would come up that might be a little bit. Um, you know, kind of strained conversation, mm-hmm. but I, but again, that was one of those things that that just really worked itself out, um, and I think we may see uh, some of that even come through because I know they are wanting to do some accountability, um, uh, kind of looking into uh, some of the entities and making sure they're doing some some background checks, some book checks, some different things as far yeah. as just making sure that they are above reproach in all the ways that they're handling uh, and working in these entities. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, next year when we go back to the convention mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll he- have some of these questions answered, that we'll see some of these reports that are going to be brought back to us that will give us insight as far as uh, what's going on within these entities? If there aren't anything uh, that are questionable that need to be brought up, if there are things that were found that that were, you know, maybe not right or unethical or improper for these entities or entity leaders to be a part of, and so, um, you know, we're hopeful that nothing comes back, right? I mean, yeah, you, ne- you never, you never want to see you know, your, your convention or, you know, your family have a black eye, uh, to it. And so we're hoping that this comes back the same, that there's, there's not going to be anything that's going to cause any black eye against the SBC for people to throw stones or rocks at. Yeah. Um, because, you know, again, I think across the board, we all want to see each one of us, you know, as Bible, as the Bible says, you know, to, to live above reproach, mm-hmm. to live above what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And so, I'm I'm hopeful that when they that when they do this that we're going to be able to come back. It's going to be a clean slate. There's going to be things that are that have been put put in place to hold these guys' uh, feet to the fire to to be able to be this open book that we need to see, yep. and that um, uh, that will continue to move forward um, with kingdom work. So yeah, yeah, and I think two two thoughts to that end, Scott. One, uh, absolutely, we hope that there's been nothing at all that's been inappropriate. Um, the mechanism that the convention came up with this year was to have the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I would say 80% of that person's responsibility is typically to be a figurehead, more or less. 
But the 20% that matters is they help appoint trustees, which are the oversight boards that, that decide if the feet are being held to the fire or not, to use your words. And then two, this year, uniquely, we as messengers, we as participating members of the meeting, tasked the president with putting together what we're calling a task force to do the investigating because we use Robert's rules of order for the way that we kind of manage these meetings just to keep everybody moving forward and, and to make the most of our time. Um, one of the sort of um, mechanisms of Robert's rules is that, and this is unfortunate, but we, we got around it in a good way this year, is that uh, an entity could potentially investigate itself uh, by default, and that wouldn't be very helpful. Um, that would be the same as them giving a report, which they already do. We want more than that report. We want to see things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily bring forward, emails and, and private conversations that might uh, communicate a different tone. And so uh, that's happening this year. We'll get that report when the convention meets in Anaheim next year. And I want to make this plug before we land the plane here with our last question. If you are listening to this and you are a part of True North Church or any other Southern Baptist church uh, anywhere in the world, and you did not know that your church can send messengers to the annual meeting, uh, this year, True North only sent two, me and Scott, and we qualify for at least six uh, based on our percentage of giving internally. And so if you are a member in good standing of True North and you would like to have a conversation about potentially attending this annual meeting, getting to see these mechanisms in play, being able to come back and communicate to the membership of True North what you saw, what was good, what was bad, um, I would love to talk to you more about that as we plan on uh, June of 2022 being in California. This is probably the closest that the event will be for the foreseeable future. I doubt it'll ever happen in Alaska. Maybe it will. Maybe Seattle, maybe Portland, maybe L.A., but Anaheim's probably as west as we'll get uh, in the next four or five years. So uh, that makes it a little easier. And, you know, Disneyland's down there. So I'm not saying you have to do that, but I bet a lot of people will. <laughs> so, Scott, as we finish today... Um, you talked about the sending ceremony already. Um, that was certainly a high point for me as well. Um, I've been a part of a small version of that in Kentucky at the church I served at previously to this one. Uh, but man, it was, it was really moving and encouraging to me and so helpful to see the tangible result of the giving week in and week out of our members at True North Church. 6% of every dollar that we give goes to the cooperative program. And a piece of that will play a role has already played a role in the training of these people, will continue to play a role in supporting them as they go and do the work of a missionary uh, all around the world. And, and aside from that, just the unity, the overall sense of unity to leave and have had my own mind changed. And really, I don't think I was convinced by anybody. I was able to just look plainly at what was going on in the convention, what we stood for, what we didn't stand for, and to come home and to be able to support and defend our affiliation with the SBC uh, was a real gift to me. What about you? What was one highlight? Uh, and then we'll wrap up for the day after that. You know, I, I think one of the other highlights is, uh, as as I've noted just a little bit, is that this we are one big family. And so coming together in one location, uh, this was probably one of the largest conventions in many, many years. Yeah. And, and of course, it was uh, it was all a part of some of the discussions and the motions and and the um, resolutions that were going to have to be made. But uh, you know, one of the great things about um, about this event is it is like a big family reunion, and just seeing uh, seeing guys who I went to college with who are now in ministry, seeing guys who I I went to seminary with and was able to connect with, seeing pastors and friends that are all across the globe 
doing ministry, being able to reconnect with them, hearing their stories, updating them on what's happening, just to to spend time with them, encouraging one another, praying for each other, um, and just laughing a little bit. You know, it's that was that's always one of the great things about. Uh, the convention. That's not the only reason, but uh, that is a big highlight of mine is because I really enjoy just reconnecting uh, with others that that are just dear friends to me that are all across the world that I don't get to see all the time. And just to see them face to face, hug their neck, you know, give them a high five, chest bump, whatever that looks yeah. like. Those are things that uh, it brings me back to those days when we got to hang out and to be a part. And we pick up that relationship as though we haven't even skipped a beat. And so, that that's the that's the great thing about this family. Yeah. Yeah, and what did Jesus say, right? The world will recognize you by your love for one another. So, you know, I know we're there to do business, but I would say that love for one another is right up there on Jesus' priority list. Most definitely. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, That's as far as we'll get in this conversation. Next week on episode 13, I'll be interviewing Audrey Preston, a member of True North Church, and we're going to be talking about um, kind of riffing off of a sermon that I preached a couple of weeks ago at the time of this recording about health as an idol. Uh, Audrey is a personal fitness coach and trainer. Um, and has a lot of perspective on how to embrace health, how to be a good steward of your physical resources with your body without allowing that to become your identity uh, and without allowing it to become an object of worship for you, an idol. So if you have questions that you'd like Audrey and I to get to along those lines, you can always submit those to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line podcast questions, that will help us get to that email Uh, and include those questions uh, very soon. We're also coming up in just a couple weeks on another mailbag episode where I'll sit down and answer just any and all random questions that you may have for me about the church, about myself personally, cultural issues, sermon questions, uh, all kinds of things. So feel free to sort of shotgun anything that you've got uh, banging around inside your head our way as well. Uh, You can also follow up on today's conversation. If you have questions for Scott or myself, Uh, If we get enough feedback, we might sit down and do this again and talk back through some more issues. So thanks again for your time, church. We love you. We are here for you. And we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.